Welcome into Dialed In, a podcast by the High Cotton Club. Episode 23, uh, a little bit different than usual, but uh, still hopefully some great content for you guys, keeping you current on all things High Cotton Classic and Club related. Uh, and then also a, a cool episode today um, with a special interview that Connor, you did uh, this week. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, very grateful for the opportunity to drive up to Park Mammoth where I'm a member at and uh, and sit down with the architect, Mr. Brian Ross. Brian, uh, is he's become a great friend of the club and he's just a great guy. And so it was a great opportunity that we had to sit down for about an hour and chat and just get a little bit inside about him, about his design, about Park Mammoth itself. And I'm really excited for everybody to hear it. I'm excited to listen back to it myself. You'll hear us go over and over it. Um, in the podcast, so please enjoy the interview with Mr. Brian Ross. But before that, we have to, you know, do some housekeeping, talk about some high cotton club stuff. So we get into the float and the siege of Sweetens that was this past weekend. Great time there, but had by all. And then we get into the fourth edition of the High Cotton Classic, which is ripping and roaring. It had a match today. We had, uh, you know, matches coming up this weekend. Had a match this past weekend. So a bunch of things going on with that. Um, but. Before we get into the episode, a few more housekeeping items that we need to get into. 2023 membership signups are ongoing. Make sure that you reach out if you have any questions. There's a link out there to get on the 2023 High Cotton Club roster. The bank account is dialed. We're waiting about a week and we'll be able to set up the Venmo, but we are ready to go with that. And so very excited to finally have that monkey off my back. All merch from 2022 has been sent. So if you haven't received it, Please reach out to me, and we'll get you dialed in if, you, if you're missing anything. Um, the Yeti order, I'm going to call Yeti and check in on that because that should be arriving quickly. Um, uh, we're waiting on Imperial. Imperial messed up the float hats again, so they're supposed to be fixing those. If they can fix those, maybe fix the classic hats, then we'll move forward with the visors and the other classic hats that we did. If not, everybody will receive a full refund. Sorry to be holding this um, as long as I have, but we're just you know trying to do the right thing by everybody and get something that everybody's excited about. Just got to get through it with Imperial. Um, and then if you are interested in any of the blade putter covers from the third edition of the High Cotton Classic, we can do another run of those. I know some folks want an extra. I would like an extra, but I'm not going to order 12 just for myself to have an extra. So if anybody else wants one, please reach out. They're a great white putter cover, navy brand with one maroon brand on it. A very cool item. And then also the extinction, the second extinction at Park Mammoth. The reason that we sat down with Mr. Brian Ross, other than just his great work at Park Mammoth, um, is coming up on... September 17th, it's finally September and it's finally extinction time. Right before the boys head to Kansas City for the national championship, everybody will get together at Park Mammoth. Um, we are shy on our field of 48 and I already ordered 48 gifts. So please get out there and get to recruiting. Signups end this week, so get out to and recruit. It's $230 to play. Um, need some folks to get involved so we don't get stuck with a bunch of extra gifts. And then other than that, we have the High Cotton Cup and the Roundup coming up in October, October 7th through 9th. Um, we're dialing things in for the cup teams, and after we have the cup teams dialed in, we'll open signups up for the Roundup. Um, already have gifts ordered for the cup teams, and so excited to have some of those for the guys. And a uh, really cool hat that Dome's doing this time, and so going to be awesome to get that. And then after that, I know we have a lot, guys. Bear with me before we get into the episode and the great interview with Brian Ross. The Gallup, 
Um, it's going to be in November. I think it's November 12th off the top of my head at the Lynx at Tennessee Grasslands, the Foxland course at Tennessee Grasslands. It's going to be a great day with 18 holes leading to a derby. Ten two-man member-member teams. It's going to be exciting to have these guys battle it out. Um, what we're going to do is each group is going to play in a four-ball match play. It's going to be randomly assigned. The winner of each group in that match will advance to the derby. In that, the derby will be an alternate shot derby. So it's going to be very exciting. Got to go win a match, and then you got to go play good in the derby. Wow, that's uh, that's incredible. Ready to see the field fill out uh, so we can see, you know, maybe even take predictions on uh, that event and a lot of stuff to be previewing. Uh, did I say previewing? Previewing um, as we get prepared to uh, finish out the rest of this season and get the momentum rolling. So uh, we got some life advice for you guys, and then we get into the epi- the episode with the interview. Uh, really hope you guys enjoy that episode and run that intro. Rich, some guys like it quiet, some guys like it loud. This is Yeah, you know, Gator needs to look like he needs some exercise, I don't know. Of course the conditions now that he has to play the shot test anyone. It's a great story. Welcome into episode 23 of Dialed In, a podcast by the High Cotton Club. Connor Hendrickson and Tanner Sandell. We are keeping you dialed in today with all things High Cotton Club and no laying up roost for everybody from Indiana, Tennessee, Kentucky, Mississippi, Alabama. We got a large footprint, and we enjoy and appreciate the opportunity to serve each and every one of y'all. Yeah, the boys are buzzing. We got a lot going on right now between Classic, got a couple of events underway and currently being signed up for. There's a buzz in Discord that just feels good uh, for this time of year, Uh, and we've got stuff even going on in there with fantasy football starting up. College football's here. Oh, yeah. Uh, There's a certain team that, like, that no one cares about that plays tonight, but I know some people are excited. Uh, Even though I don't care who wins or loses, I'll be singing Rocky Top at the top of my lungs. It's football time in Tennessee, baby. I can't do that, but uh, it feels good. This is a good time of year, Um, and, yeah, we got some momentum going. Yeah, so this past weekend uh, we were down in South Tennessee for the float, and then that turned into the siege at Sweetens. The float was, uh, we had eight guys show up for the golf, and it was fantastic. Even though it was a small crowd, it was a really good crowd. We had a little bit of slow play in front of us. The They had us at like 9 and 9, 10. Right. And when we got there, the group behind us checked in, 
and they thought that they were that we were going to be slow and that these old guys who play there all the time were going to be fast. Well, we were playing four ball and we were right on their tail, so we ended up playing as eight for a lot of the That's day. That's awesome. As long as they're okay with it, who cares, man? Yeah, I mean, we didn't hold it, hold anything up really, and I left because we um, had a little bit of an issue with Imperial. I left a couple hats um, on the eight on the AT&T for the guys behind us. So, so I wrote a little note on the scorecard, sorry for the pace, we held y'all up, have a great day. High Cotton Club, left them with a few uh, float hats. So hopefully, if we did hold anybody up, that was well worth it. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, just another way to positively spread the brand a little bit. And I'm, I'm hopeful for the day that when you show up to a golf course and they kind of know who the club is at least and what they represent or maybe even like we've talked about a number of times before what no laying up is they kind of already associate that with kind of hopefully that next tier of golf and we'll be able to keep a pace and keep things moving along it's not just your uh jimmies and joes out there they definitely appreciated us being out there and so it was great to you know work with the pro there he was very helpful um, I thought I lost my pills um, at the golf course, and he was very helpful that afternoon trying to find them, go through the golf carts and everything like that. So appreciate them very much for hosting us. The golf was great. Um, Steven Isogel um, from Texas and Jay Mims ended up getting into a playoff with Matt Britton. And who, who was Matt's partner? Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Matt played with, um, let's see, uh, with – you have it up here? Oh no, you're pulling up. You're pulling up. No laying up. They just dropped. Is that a new drop? Yeah, it's the uh, fall drop. Figured I'd just have something relevant on in the background while you were looking for some info. But I noticed these colors here that you're probably fond of. Oh yeah, anything maroon, little white and gray. Yeah. Um, so Matt Britton played with Brian Vanveer, and so Jay and Brian had to head back to Alabama after the golf. And so we ended up having a playoff to the floating green. The floating green, which ended up being the cause of my busted lip in the past, the, the cause of my pain for the past week, probably had a little mild concussion while we were at Sweetens, but no big deal. Um, we, we had a really good time with that. Um, it was tough again to hit it. We started off with like a 90 yard shot and nobody could hit it. So we moved up to, we were around 43, 44 yards. And uh, Steven and Matt had a good little shootout for the playoff. And then we took one more spot, and Steven won that too. So the boy wow. from Texas is going to be showing back up in Tennessee, he says, for the showdown. Wow. Although he can't qualify, he's going to come back and compete. So, well, that's something. Appreciated him uh, showing up, getting involved, and, yeah, it was great to have him be a part of our event. Hopefully he can spread a little positivity with our name on it, um, where it's due. or It's always good just to have another person in our corner. Um, you know, in light of, of recent things. But tell me about Sweetens. Uh, obviously, we know I had to give up my pass to go, and I'm sad about that. But in light of that, Clay Doty, being a good friend that he is, actually had four more passes the day of Zach Bryan, and which we had tickets to, great tickets to, by the way. Uh, but I mentioned it to Kalen. I actually was going to try to see if there was a way to make both of them work, just to be honest. Um, but she didn't want to cut her time short at Sweetens. She's watched a lot of the NLU Cup videos in the wild world of golf at Sweetens Cove um, on YouTube with me and is like stoked about it. So uh, we're going to go. going to be pretty cool to be able to take Kaylin. Um, but interested in seeing how that time was with some other first-timers for you and what, was, what did it look like that day in terms of being captain or, or just playing and having a good time with the boys or... 
what did the day look like? Yeah, definitely let Clay take charge. Um, it was his deal and appreciated him putting it all together with it being turned into an NIT qualifier. So kind of late in the process, it was a bit chaotic. We got there and Adamski was like, so pretty sure y'all know each other, but like what's going on? And nobody really like spoke up until uh, I guess it was the guy from South Carolina, Easy Miss, spoke up and kind of said what was going on. And so we all went off as roost. We went off as a couple of tensums and like an eight and uh, a four, whatever it ended up being. And um, it was cool. It was a little awkward, I'd say. All the roost kind of stuck with each other. I tried to intermingle and kind of got the cold shoulder several times whenever I tried to go talk to other roosts, which was interesting. Um, yeah, it was playing Sweetens for me. Again, I didn't feel great, um, so take that with a grain of salt. But I would rather, you know, kind of previewing our interview with Mr. Brian Ross later, I would rather go play Park Mammoth any day of the week over going back to Sweetens. Um, it was just the greens felt more punishing than the, the slopes punished more than they helped in almost every scenario, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's fun to get punched in the mouth every once in a while, but sometimes you want to hit a really good shot and get rewarded for that really good shot. And they're just there's times out there where it's not going to happen, and that's fine. It's it is what it is. It's still one of the nicest golf courses I've ever played. There's no doubt about it. It's still you know top three, top five in my list. But when it comes to somewhere where I want to go loop all day. It's just not that for me anymore. I think I played probably like 21 holes. Um, came back from lunch and um, everybody was kind of taking a break and it was just like, you know, I played this golf course a whole lot. It was cool playing as a 10, but I've done that before. I think that's the appeal for a lot of people is having that first time experience. Um, but for me, be, having done that before, even with all the High Cotton Club guys, I think that was the highlight of the day for me was just being around all our guys. Mm -hmm. And um, But other than that, I was glad that they got that experience, got to see Golden Hour. I had to stop in Manchester on the way home and take a nap. I, mm. I just, I had no gas. So if I had stuck around, I wouldn't have been any fun anyway. Um, but it was all in all a good day. Congratulations to the guys that played well. Um, Chuck and Clay were just right on the cusp for qualifying. And then um, uh, Jonathan and Easy Miss from First Flight and the Palmetto crew. Um, both played well. I think they were tied with those guys. And then some guy from Michigan came out of nowhere, dropped the hammer at the end of the day with like plus several and, and kind of ran away with it. Nice. That's pretty cool. Well, so kind of going into our, um, which I guess, I don't know if you're up on no laying up content right now, but they just dropped Neil's hundred hole hike out at Sweden. So you're, you're basically saying that that would be difficult for you at this point, but Previewing Park Mammoth, if you had a chance to do that, would you do a 100-hole hike at Park Mammoth? I wouldn't hike it, but um, I would play 100 holes at Park Mammoth. Um, I would be dead for the week after. But, yeah, yeah, it would. it's definitely a place where I could see myself looping more often yeah. than I could. I think I like both of them for different reasons. Um, I think the accessibility of Park Mammoth is very appealing. Um we tried like heck to get our next match there if possible, and that wasn't conceded, but might see about getting our next match there, or even if we have an opportunity to see you guys in that uh, semifinal, maybe taking that match out there. But I love the golf course, and I think that golf course this time of year with a vest and some pants on, 
whether I'm in the cart or walking it out there with all those trees, that could be a really awesome golf course to be at, especially this time of year. Yeah, I was up there just a few days ago for the interview with Mr. Brian Ross that you all will hear um, at the end of this episode. And it was a fantastic conversation. I'm very excited for everybody to hear it. I'm excited to listen back to it myself. Um, but the golf course looks as good as it's looked. Um, obviously, it's a perfect time of year up there. I think I might head up there this weekend. Just If I get a, a few hours, just bolt up there and play as much as I can. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, obviously, sad to say that I'm not going to be playing in that after I was pretty excited about doing so. Um, you know, true rub of the green situation, I guess, comes with the territory of also being a family man. Uh, but Dawson's soccer season starts, and um, I just, I'm not going to miss a game. So, <laughs> uh, looking forward to that. And Kaylin, you know, again, so she's she's seen me back out of Sweetens and then now backing out of Park Mammoth. And, she feels, you know, she wants me to be able to do those things too. But, um, you know, right now in a time, if I've got to pick, me personally, I'm picking the classic. That's where I'm going to give energy right now. I'm picking the classic. You heard my story about the gallop already. Um, you know, the bag also caught her eye, and I know that's something you dropped in Discord that we hadn't mentioned just yet. But well, there um, might be some audibles made to the gallop. I realize, and I've gotten some feedback, and even when I said it at like four hundred dollars, I was like this does not feel right. Mm -hmm. um, but the backpack wholesale is $200. The golf is 110. I mean, there's nothing that we can do about that. That's $310 before we've done any money games, before we've done any other gifts. Yeah. So we may call an audible on the backpack. Um, stay tuned. If enough guys are fine with just coming out forthright and paying $400, that's fine. I just, I don't feel right about it. And so if we need to make an audible, I'm 100% yeah. okay with it. Or, I mean, you know, you just mentioned the, the backpack and the golf. Um, I'm sure there's probably going to be a couple other goodies, but, you know, you also could have the option to, if people are there just for bragging rights and uh, the merch, so to speak, then you miss the, we don't do any high value payouts anyways, right? But there could be a mutual agreement there, but you know, I'm like you, best case scenario, you have enough that don't mind doing it outright and go have a heck of a day there. But I'm not sure because of the venue and the type of event that it can and will be, if there's a wrong answer. I think that the right answer, what feels like the right answer, and again, I'm saying this on a microphone, so I'm gonna be held to it, is cut down the backpacks for our champions and then reallocate a bunch of the funds into prizes, into other gifts. Still keep it probably, you know, it's, like I said, with just golf and the other gifts that we already have ordered, we're at $150. So then you throw in, you know, we start to do payouts, we're at $200. This could easily be, you know, I could see us settling down at like 250 and then still having some substantial payouts. So if, if we can cut down, I would like to, um, again, the backpacks are going to be phenomenal, so it's tough to like take away from everybody what was going to be our probably coolest gift yet. But um, you know, we can always order those on the back end if somebody just really wants one. Yeah. Before we get back into today's episode, I'd like to take a quick moment to talk to you about our presenting sponsor, Golf RX and Mountain Juliet. Ryan Smith has the equipment, expertise, and the knowledge that he needs to get you and your game dialed in. 
Whether you need custom club fitting, club repair, or whether you just need your clubs re-gripped with your lies and loss checked like I so desperately need before I head off to Kansas City for the Roost National Championship, he can get you dialed in. So make sure you go see him. He is open Monday through Sunday, 10 to 6. He is available at 615-288-4539. Again, that's Golf RX at 615-288-4539. Located in Mountain Juliet at 11972 Lebanon Road, Mountain Juliet, Tennessee. Ryan Smith and Golf RX is the place to get you dialed in. Now back to today's episode. All right, so moving on to the fourth edition of the High Cotton Classic. I drove straight here from Old Hickory Country Club, where myself and John Stewart played Andrew Key and Chris Hawks. It was a, a tough battle out at Old Hickory today. Old Hickory's in phenomenal shape. Mm. Um, Stu, you love to see it. Yeah, you really do. It was, it was a great venue and a great day for, for a high cotton match. Um, Stu did his thing at Old Hickory where he starts off slow, and so it's a good thing that I started off playing I did make the mental mistake on one, and I won't go hole by hole, so don't hear me say on one and then yeah, two. Yeah, sorry, out. I did that last week. Uh, no, you're fine. Um, I think I thought that it was a par five, and I asked Stu on the tee, is it reachable? And he said no. He thought I was asking if it was a reachable par four, so I go back and I grab three iron. It's a 420-yard par four. I just take three iron thinking that I'm just going to, you know, three shot this par five, and then we get up there, I'm like, oh, crap, I really – really messed up now i have 220 into the green and i don't quite have 220 in the bag um so that was an interesting start but we were able to you know get off and uh, I, I have the live scoring here and I, again i'm not going to go hole by hole but it was it was a good back and forth match um you know they went one up after one which you know you always hate to see but andrew key got a stroke there we got it back to all square after three they took it to one up on five we got it back to all square on six, and then that was when Stu hold it from the fairway for eagle. So wedge on six, hold it out on seven. We win that hole again. Did that fire you up? Oh yeah, I was fired Did up. You guys holler? Uh, a little bit. I'm Eric, interested in seeing what the vibe is like right now because we definitely kept it tame in our last match, but I think we're gonna kind of turn it up a notch. I turned it up a little bit when Stu, you know, especially you know, you'll hear when Stu kind of turns it on. Uh, we won seven, um, and then got, it was back to all square on nine. So then we uh, lose. No, we win ten with uh, Stu making a three, nice birdie there. Back to all square on thirteen. And this is where we had a little bit of confusion with the handicaps. I thought that I made a birdie net eagle to go two up. Turns out we were all square at the moment. And so on 16, um, they go one up with a par and uh, par net birdie. And then we go all square on 17. It was brutal. It was uh, Stu making a birdie from probably 65, 70 feet. It was just epic. Epic. Um, right after I hit a chip shot from right next to him that was a few feet from the hole. And so, yeah, it was right after Chris had scared the hole. And so it was just a huge moment, a huge momentum swing to go back to all square, heading in the 18, where Stu and I both hit really good drives. Uh, I had a depth perception issue. We all kind of did. I thought the green was short. Turns out those were the fairway bunkers guarding, like, the layup area. And so I hit a three iron down there, just kind of lay up. 
to a, a decent yardage, not a great yardage. Stu hits this hybrid, I think, is right at the back of the green. I think it's perfect. I think he's putting eagle. Turns out he's like 60 yards short. <laughs> but we're in a good spot. Um, I get up there. I, I hit a bad birdie putt and then an even worse par putt. And so Stu has the whole thing for birdie, and he drains it, walks it in. You would have been very proud. We win the match, one up on 18, get wow. three points. We're at six points through stage two. Fire the boys up. Fired up. Yeah. I, you know you know how fired up I was that I had a beer after the round. Oh, Sat yeah. on the porch and had a beer with Mr. Stewart, yeah. uh, Mr. Hawks, and Key. Man, that's awesome. I Something about getting the competitive juices flowing and playing competitive golf is pretty awesome. Um, we talked about it last week. Uh, pretty cool to hear that you've taken care of business when we talked about last week that our, our two teams, at least, are in similar positions. Uh, so... You, you, between the two of us, can take the first sigh of uh, fresh air or breath of fresh air or sigh of relief, I think is what I was trying to say. But it's, it's our turn to, to take care of business on Sunday. We're returning to Hermitage, a, a terrific venue. Um, but this time we're playing General's Retreat. Um, I think that the golf course is also in great shape. And I think it gives us a slight advantage, but we're coming in like we're the underdogs. Um, and we just want to take care of business, keep it between, keep it between the mustard and the mayo, uh, like Neil says, um, and just get it done. Really, our our theme and the main goal is just to keep pressure on the whole day. Like, there's no tougher feeling than having pressure, and you you can either respond to it or you can't. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the way I look at it. That's like, why I don't mind being the shortest hitter hit, sometimes. Right. I mean, like when the moment gets big, sometimes you just have to hit a shot, and you know it is what it is. So we feel like we're in a we're in a comfortable place to be able to do that. Our games are complementary because we both shape the ball opposite ways, and so if it fits one person's eye, then that's their green light hole, and the other guy's going to make the smarter decision. So that way, hopefully, you're still firing both of you into the green. Right, like I think for us to be successful, the main thing, and probably for a lot of teams, is you have to have, you have to keep from leaving one guy to handle the hole by himself. If you can kind of joint effort around the golf course, you're going to put yourself in a in a much better situation. I feel like. Just in terms of group play, you guys are in a very similar situation as we were today, um, Chris and Key, and, and uh, me and Stewart. We both had. Um, three points heading into the match. You guys both have three and a half points heading into the match. So whoever wins your match is pretty much in the driver's seat for your group play stage. Um, another team that is now pretty firmly in the in the driver's seat, I would say, heading into their final match. A lot to play for, obviously. It's but Falcon Butterfield. Goodness gracious, what a performance they put on against Beers and Gervais out at Country Hills. Well, you know, the thing is they can't play another match at Country Hills. They got one more. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so right. whoever's playing yeah, three, them, just right. don't take it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, at this point, it's like they've proven they can get it done there. You go you go beat a guy like Beers anywhere, and I got respect for you. So I got respect for you too, Gervais. I've, I've watched you play. Yeah, Beers with a 66 um, by himself and just yeah. getting railroaded. I mean, and but Gervais, I've also seen you at Country Hills where it didn't go so great. So I understand. You know, like I've seen that golf course – I think that's a golf course that sneaks up on you, and I don't think that you could possibly talk me into playing match play there. 
In that group, we have the Rotans going up against Walt and Curtis. If somehow Walt and Curtis can win that match, then Peyton and Josh pretty much have that group underlined. Yeah, but I think that's going to be in a situation where they're playing each other at 2-0. and Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So I would pick the Rotans in that match. So kind of a championship match, so to speak. But a big upset looming if Falk can – I understand that Butterfield is the – uh, I don't know how, what we want to call it. The low cap. The low cap. Um, would he be the low cap in that group? Yes. I think any time that by three, a, you know, any Rotans can get strokes, it's going to be tough. Sam getting four and Jay getting eight. Yeah, that that's very tough. So um, that that would be in that third stage, obviously. Um, so in the wild world of golf, the Dorises have to face off against Donnelly and Connolly. Um, no disrespect to Donnelly and Connolly. The Dorses seem to be out on a mission and would expect them to win that match. Yeah, next. Puzo and Munoz versus Eric and uh, Feltz. Expect Puzo and Munoz to do what they've been doing and continue to play good golf. Are they 2 and 0? Are they're, they 1 and 0? Yeah, they're 1 and 0. For 2 and 0? Yeah, and with all 3.5 points in so that first match. They could be in a position where there's a couple of those 2 and 0 storylines that are. Yep. We would expect that in that group. Um, in the other group, uh, other match in our group, Van Veer and Pelto versus MacArthur and Patton. Um, I think – I tried to reach out to Vandy on the way here. I think I heard Sewanee being mentioned for that venue. Wow. Um, I think Sick. we're going to try to take Van Veer and Pelto at Toey if we can. Yeah, tough wow. golf course, but with traffic for us and no traffic for them, it's probably about halfway. So, um, and then going down, that – yeah, that's it. So – Overall, in our group play stages, we have you guys and the guys that you're playing knocker out on Peterson at three and a half, Tarley and Bagnardi and Appleton and Burris behind you guys at one. In our group, we are at six, Keys and Hawk are at four and a half, and then MacArthur and Pelto battling it out at one and a half. Puzo Munoz and Doris and Doris at three and a half, and Connolly and Donnelly and Feltz and Eric at one. And then Falk and Butterfield at seven, Rotens at three and a half, Gervais and Beers at two, and Draper and Breedle at one. Mm. It'll be interesting to see how all that goes. So remind me, before we move on quickly, how the Calcutta breakdown will be. So you'll have, um, so you have uh, a, a group stage for the, the winners of that, each group, obviously. And then you've got an overall, correct? Correct. Now, on the group stage, is there... Um, claimable winnings for the groups that win that, or is that only on the Calcutta side? The groups that win their group stage win a group Calcutta. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I thought that was the case, but I couldn't remember. So that's cool. So a, a big storyline kind of going with the – and the good news is the Classic is far from over. Um, it's There's a lot of golf to be played. I mean, Still three rounds to get into, to the finals. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're already this deep into a lot of second-round matches still being played with third round matches still to go. And then whatever's beyond that, you know, at least two more matches for the entire thing. So that's, it's a lot, it's exciting. Sure is. I'm interested uh, to see golf course selections as the year progresses. Yeah, trying to avoid courses that might be doing like a fall aeration and um, definitely gonna be avoiding home courses. Like you said, I don't think anybody else will take Falcon Butterfield at Country Hills. Um, I know that if we had to play him, we wouldn't go there. Um, and I'm not so sure. Country Hills was kind of added with an asterisk. Not sure it'll be part of it moving forward. 
Um, yeah, it was added last minute just with some uh, contest. And so I didn't get to go out there and, and personally check it outside and take some people's word for it. After some more feedback, might you know we'll obviously revisit for revisit it for the spring. I mean, in my opinion, if Long Hollow is not on there, Country Hills shouldn't be. Long Hollow just feels like less of a golf course than Country Hills, yeah. does it? I mean, it's so Long Hollow is actually just from a match play standpoint more of a match play golf course if we're going to be technical. I mean, Long I've heard the same thing. A, I mean, it's the golf course is right in front of you. That one is kind of a little too inviting, whereas Country Hills has its obvious difficulties. Uh, in terms of shape, they're probably in similar shape, but um, I'd say Long Hollow just is a more gettable golf course. Even if you stretch it out there, it's more. It's almost like who can go the lowest. Mm-hmm. Like I'd like to see two just incredible teams go out there and just blow it up. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like if 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 Country Hills is going to be an option, that's the way I feel about it. I'd assume neither one of them be on there. And, and kind of our lower tier golf courses is still a great golf course and just like well i've heard not so great things about 12 stones right now so we'll see we'll just see where we are in the spring and obviously we'll revisit it and make make all the appropriate decisions as best we can we're always trying to do the right thing that's that's the main thing and um speaking of keeping the main thing the main thing go ahead and jump into life advice a little bit of a short episode today because um, of our interview on the back end, which, like I said, I think it's going to be some great stuff from Brian. Again, I'm not Solly. This isn't the, the No Laying Up podcast, but um, try to just ask some questions that um, I wanted to know and then some questions from you guys and from other social media followers. So thank you to everybody who chimed in on that. And have one question that we'll get into before the interview that was a really good question that came in late and I didn't get to ask him, but he sent an answer that I haven't read yet and I'm very excited to get a live reaction to it. So if you want to go ahead with your life advice. Yeah, I would just say uh, for me this week is with the, the time of the year and certain parts of the day starting to turn um, and, you know, much better weather that's not scorching hot looming. Uh, it's, it's a good opportunity, too, just to get out and stop, slow down with whatever you have going on and just take in nature with the weather outside. One thing that my wife, I kind of give this credit to my wife instead of me, but um, just encouraging me to just be outside and take in the take in the outdoors, kind of be grateful for the world that we live in and understand, you know, not to make it morbid, but to understand that there are other countries that don't have the same liberties that we do. Uh, and it's easy for us in a microwave society to complain and kind of play scapegoat to a lot of things. But um, there's also a lot that, that we have that other people don't have. And so just taking that in and being grateful for what's around us. The one thing that I love about, or not the one thing, but one thing that I love about golf is um, being outside. I can hunt inside sport. And it's you can take in the different times of year, the different settings that you're in, and enjoy. I think that enhances a golf round. Uh, being able to go somewhere and just love your surroundings and just have a fun day on the golf course is something that I think is is should is is noteworthy, right? And so for me, my life advice: slow down, take some time to be outside, take in that fresh air, and just enjoy your surroundings and what's around you. I totally agree. I was excited to go play today just because of the forecast. It was nice to you know put on a light pullover this morning, get out there, hit a few balls, shed that uh, windbreaker, and then you're ready for a great day. Um, it just makes, like you said, 
getting outside so much more enjoyable. And that's along the same lines as my life advice. I've been spending a lot more time with the horses and just do things that you enjoy. Take the time to do things that you enjoy. The things that you need to do will be there when you get done. You can always come back to them. Most of the time, somebody's going to understand if you, if you know, you need to come back to something or if you need to holler back at them. And so just take a few moments, do the things that you enjoy because at the end of the day, like you said, there's, there's people that have it a lot worse than us. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And so enjoy today for what it is and do something that makes you genuinely happy. Yeah, that's a great word. That's a great word. All right, so before we get into the interview with Brian, again, very excited for people to hear it. I hope I'm not um, overhyping it. But I had a question um, come in. I think it was Jordan Miller asked, other than finding land and money, what's the hardest part of designing slash building a golf course? Brian says, great question. I could probably write a book on this subject. Seriously, there are a lot of things. Rain, equipment malfunctions, making sure you have an adequate water source, meeting tight construction deadlines and grassing windows, and managing all the different tasks that need to get done in a day, and the personalities of the other people involved are all things that jump to mind. But those are the kind of boring, so I think I'll go with trying not to second guess yourself. There are thousands of design decisions that have to be made over the course of a project, some major, mostly minor, and it's really easy to look at your work when you're done and say, man, what if we done this here or that there? Those thoughts can eat you alive if you let them. All you can really do is, one, make sure you're really making thoughtful decisions on the front end. Two, be able to explain those decisions to your client, the contractor, the media, or whoever. And then three, execute them to the best of your ability. And trust me, I'll happily blow something up and start from scratch if I really don't like how it turned out. But when the dust settles and the golfers are finally out there getting to enjoy your work, you have to be able to look at that final product and tell yourself, damn, that, that right there is as good as it could possibly be. I hope they like it. And that's hard with something as subject, subjective as golf. Really good word from Ryan. He's got a ton of great tidbits, uh, quotes, really good stuff from him coming up. Is there anything that you're most excited to hear from, the, the kind of the questions that you might have seen or heard? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously I love the golf course. Um, and so I'm interested in just hearing the entire thing. This is one of those situations where um, I'm on the show, but I'm really excited for the show to get released so I can hear that portion of it and may even skip through my own voice and, <laughs> and get to the good part. So, um, but I, I, you know, things that I'm interested in hearing about is what went into the golf course design. Like what was, what was his intention when he came in and, and took it over and, um, what was, what did he have in mind? What experience did he have in mind for the players? I think. Another thing that I'd be He's got some really is, good on that. Yeah, and I think the other thing that I'd be interested in hearing is, um, you know, what what are some secret nuggets that he wants the players to get out of it? Like, what are his favorite holes? Like, why he did... I think one of the coolest things that I've taken away from some of the No Laying Up content, specifically Taurus Sauce and even Michigan, when they are with all of the architects most of the time, they do it a lot on the Oregon trip as well. But in the Michigan trips, those guys are playing golf with them. Like Mike DeVries, there's several episodes with him. And it's just cool to hear like the guy that created the golf course going around and saying like what it should happen. And I'd be interested in playing around 
with Brian out there and just him kind of going through why the golf course does this and what the intention was in this area. You know, why does the green complex on um, number number three so hard? Like, <laughs> you know, like those questions, like where did you get that tier idea? Because, um, you know, where's a good place to play that shot in? Like, you know, those little things I'd love to hear because um, I've, I've had in two rounds, I've had a really great experience on number three the first loop and the second loop I fell right into the trap of number three in it and it took good care of me on the green specifically so those things I'd be really interested in hearing. I would have loved to go into more detail with him try to be very respectful of his time I think we were right at an hour um, and tried not to hold him any longer than that so I hope that everybody enjoys it I know that I sure enjoyed the opportunity to sit down and talk with him so um, uh, Brian, he said, he said that he listens sometimes, especially when he knows we're going to be talking about Park Mama. So appreciate him listening very much and I appreciate him taking the time very much. So without any further ado, please enjoy this interview with Mr. Brian Ross, no relation to Donald, architect of Park Mammoth, CEO of Ross Golf Designs. Please enjoy. Cheers. Before we get into the interview with Mr. Brian Ross, I'd like to take a moment to talk to you about the fine folks at the Rudder at Anchor High Marina. The Patton family and the staff at the Rudder has taken care of the High Cotton Club, and they can take care of you too. So make sure that you go see them on this beautiful Labor Day weekend and all throughout the fall season. But this weekend especially, they have live music all weekend. If you're listening to this on Friday, get out there. Go see Double Take on Saturday. They have Highway Wildflowers on Sunday, AC Drive, and Monday, Stephen Bosco will be performing. So check them out at Old Hickory Lake, 126 River Road, Hendersonville, Tennessee. You can give them a call, 615-348-0129. Super easy to find. Just plug it in your Mac. 126 River Road, Hendersonville, Tennessee. They are open 11 to 11, Tuesday through Thursday, 11 to midnight, Friday and Saturday, and again, 11 to 11 on Sundays with happy hour, two through six on Tuesday through Friday. It's a great spot, especially this time of year where the weather is so perfect here in Middle Tennessee to get your friends, your family, whoever you want to go get some food and drinks with. It's the perfect spot, and they can take care of you at the Rudder at Anchor High Marina like they've taken care of us with the High Cotton Club. So make sure you get out there and tell them the High Cotton Club sent you. Now, without any further ado, please enjoy the interview with Mr. Brian Ross. Welcome in. Brian Ross, Ross Golf Designs, founder, owner, president, CEO, everything involved. That's it. Thank you so much for joining Dialed In. Uh, really excited for this conversation to have everybody just get to know you a little bit better, to get a little bit more insight behind a place that we all love so much and enjoy coming to. So thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thank you for having me, Connor. Really, really look forward to this conversation and appreciate everything that you've done for this golf course because it, it's you've made it. You made an impact out here. Well, uh, I appreciate that. This golf course has made an impact on our community that um, has been, we've been desperately uh, kind of waiting and we've been satiating for. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's fantastic and always a pleasure just to make the drive up here, to drive down the driveway and see all the golf holes. It's been uh, several times that I've come up here and haven't had the chance to play, but it's still just always a privilege to be on property and, and to be around all you guys. And so, now thank you all for what you have created. And uh, like I said, excited to dive in a little bit, get to know you a little bit, get to know the kind of the story behind this place. And so um, just starting off, 
What was your exposure to golf growing up? You're from Austin, Texas, correct? No. No, you just live no. there now? Yep. I grew up in Southwest Virginia, actually, not terribly far from here, about four hours. And grew up uh, on a farm, family farm, tobacco farm. Uh, we, you know, I didn't start playing golf until I was 12. Didn't really even know much about it before that. My grandfather had a set of clubs, and my dad didn't play much. And uh, my, my best friend growing up, got a set of clubs when, when he turned 12 on his 12th birthday and he wanted me to get some so he had someone to play with and back then you know in the, in the early 90s golf clubs were hard to find there, there was no Amazon or you know not a lot of golf stores and things so we actually cut down that set of clubs for my grandfather because I'm left-handed and so left-handed clubs were even harder to find him and we took to it right away uh, he and I we actually had a really good group of guys that we grew up playing with and went all through middle school and high school with and and I knew really early that I wanted to be in the golf business I I don't know what it was about it but I mean almost immediately I was drawing golf holes in my notebooks and and I always had an interest in design too so when I found out that you could actually marry those two things you know golf and design it was um it was a no-brainer it wasn't the easiest industry to get into it's difficult to kind of break into that sometimes but uh, you know, persevered and finally got got it going. I saw your tweet yesterday where the mom was. Uh, I think that was yesterday. Yeah, where the mom yeah. tweeted her son's notebook and and was looking for some encouragement from mm -hmm. the golf community. I loved your tweet. I can remember you know doodling in class when I should have been paying attention yeah, and uh, finishing the test and go ahead on the backside. Yep. I so. would I would invent properties. I would make like little contour maps and then design golf holes on them. I mean, it was just just like that. And uh, I'm glad that's still happening though. It was great work, Ben. Yeah, no, that was fantastic to see. And, uh, you know, future Ross Golf Designs employee. It intern, may, we'll see. You never know. No, that was very cool. And uh, really, it, it made me smile. There's so many times scrolling through Twitter where you can see stuff that's just garbage. And it's always nice to see something that's, yeah, like, fantastic. What, why you use the app. You exactly. You reminder every once in a while. Exactly. So what, like you said, it's a tough industry to break into. Mm -hmm. You had a great kind of group growing up. But what was your first job in golf? Well, I wouldn't call it a job because I wasn't getting paid, but we helped out at that. We had one golf course in our entire county, in Lee County, Virginia, and it was Cedar Hill Country Club. And the head pro there was a guy named Shannon Evans, and I, I really took to him, and I, I wanted to be just like him growing up. So my first thing I wanted to be was, you know, I wanted to be a pro, head pro. And I was a good player, but I wasn't good enough to play professionally. I knew that. And... So I wanted to be like him, and so I would help him out on the weekends, pulling carts and things like that. Of course, I wasn't getting paid to do it, picking the range, you did things like that. Uh, during the summers in college, I did work at a course up in Blacksburg, Virginia, where I went to Virginia Tech, and, and did maintenance one summer, did run carts one summer, uh, picking the range, things like that. And then my first job after school was as an assistant professional at Wild Wing Plantation in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And, and I did that for a little bit, thought, uh, you know, this isn't really for me. It was kind of the resort mentality. You didn't have, we didn't have any members, weren't getting to do lessons. It was just kind of the same same thing every day. And I, and I really need something that's going to, you know, inspire me or motivate, motivate me to work. And, and I wasn't getting it there. And we did a project there at the plantation while I was there where we actually built a new putting green and I, I was just enamored with that process so as soon as we got done with that I left that job and went and started working construction golf course construction on the road you know traveling all over the country with a with a big builder and um, got to spend a lot of time doing some cool work and 
for them. And, and uh, then I got out of golf for a time after my first son was born and uh, I was working for a building architect. And then, you know, finally got a job with Richard Mandel, who's a golf architect in Pinehurst, North Carolina. So I got to move and live in Pinehurst for a couple of years, which for me was, was great. My wife didn't love it as much as I did, but you know, so whenever I felt comfortable with that, you know, I was ready to kind of go out on my own and she was ready to go back to Austin. And so that's what we did. Wow. So, um, of all those places that you kind of got to travel to mm-hmm. during that, uh, we'll call them the developmental years, mm-hmm. right? Um, was there any one or two places that kind of stood out to you? Uh, no, I just kind of enjoyed getting to go all over, you know, anytime we'd be working on the weekends, I'd, you know, we usually would work a half day Saturday and then I'd take off and go somewhere that weekend and just explore, you know, so getting to work in the South Carolina low country or getting to go to Texas and spend some time where I hadn't really been much growing up or, or out West or even Canada, you know, getting to, um, kind of see the world a little bit as a, you know, 20 something was, was good. And, you know, we weren't, we weren't necessarily working on the best courses in the world. You know, we weren't working at Augusta or Pine Valley or anything, but you know, we were, we were working close by to some of those places sometimes and, you know, getting an opportunity to maybe to go out and just kind of sneak on and take a peek around every once in a while was good for me. And, and I've always been like that too. Anytime I go somewhere, even if it's not a golf related, if it's a family vacation somewhere, you know, I'll usually find a golf course or two that I want to just try to go see and, and walk them and, you know, just get some ideas, kind of refresh the, the old memory bank a little bit. Sure. So were there any uh, experiences, um, I'm sure that there were, or any that stood out to you that kind of shaped your philosophy moving forward into, you know, your career now that you still carry with you during those early years? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I I, I think, you know, I guess one thing is just how much hard work goes into a, a golf course project. And and how many different team members you need to pull off something like that. You know, I think even out here at Park Mammoth, for example, I, I had a running list at a time. I've kind of kind of never finished it, but I mean, we had over 50 different companies out here in one way or another, whether they were supplying something or, or doing a specialty job, tree clearing or, or something like that, you know, and, and just how many different roles go into to doing a project like this. I mean, it's not as simple as just growing grass or or building bunkers, you know, I mean, it's, it's a pretty in-depth process. And so getting to learn that process, starting on the shovel and then getting into the equipment and learning how to build and learn how to shape. I mean, all those things, obviously the shaping part, especially was very important for me since I do my own shaping as well. So, yeah, that's, uh, like you said, all the hard work, it's, it's crazy to think I'm trying to wrap my head around 50 different companies coming out here over. And what kind of time period was that, that they were all, so we started construction in March of 2020 and <laughs> sort of finished it. I mean, I, we're not done yet, you know, where the course is done and open, but you know, we're still doing things out here. Um, but basically we, we basically wrapped up, put the last grass on the ground last October. And of course they were still putting bunker sand in this spring and things like that. But, um, you know the whole the whole process of the construction of the golf course was essentially eighteen months. How difficult did that process become with with starting in March twenty twenty? Yeah, that was a really interesting, really interesting thing. So we were we were hired actually in in January of that year, and so you know the owner the owner was ready to go then, and he was like, well, what can we do today? We don't even have a plan yet, you know. And he, I was like, how about just if if there's a bunch of cedar trees and pine trees out here, take them out and. And you can start there. And 
we got up here in March and, you know, just broken ground and basically two weeks later, you know, everything fell out and we weren't sure if we were going to be able to continue. I had a project that I do down in Florida every year, kind of a recurring thing where I was planning to leave here and go to that for four weeks and they canceled and I was like, oh man, if we lose this now, like we had just, you know, we had just gotten going. I was like, oh, this is going to be brutal. And, but you know, it could have been like that. It could have been just like, like in 08, there were all kinds of courses that were under construction and, or even finished and never opened. And so I, that was my worst, worst case scenario. Our client owns some hotels here in town. He owns some restaurants. He's like, Hey, if they close the hotels, he's like, I've still got the keys. And he was committed. He was so committed to the project. And so we just went with it. You know, I, I had a flight home one weekend in March and there were seven people on the plane, including the pilots and flight attendants with me and one other passenger, three flight attendants and two pilots. Is this and out of Nashville? This is out of Nashville. And I said, man, they're going to shut this all, all down. There's no way. But they, you know, we kept it going. It was hard. You know, a lot of times we were, all the restaurants were closed. We're living in a hotel with a lot of times we're the only people in the hotel were us construction guys. I mean, it was a, it was a difficult, it was difficult. You know, we ate dinner. Typically we'd have to get takeout somewhere, come back there and eat by ourselves in our room or, or in the lobby. So yeah, it was, it was tough. 2020 was a tough year and uh, it was a really tough year to be on the road as much as I was, but we, you know, we pulled it off and, and pulled something incredible off, uh, through the midst of it. So no, that's, um, just adds to the kind of the story. I know that there's there's so many stories mm-hmm. out there like that, but each and every one of them are uh, they're so. I mean, we all lived through it, and, and yeah. all of our different perspectives. It mm-hmm. was a crazy time, and um, it's it's great to hear how you guys were able to persevere. And uh, Mr. Chandler's kind of outlook on, hey, I still got the key, so we're, yeah, we're gonna exactly. keep moving forward. I, that was the best thing I, he could have said. I mean, it, it was so reassuring to know that he was committed to this, and we were gonna do it no matter what. Um, in my I believe two interactions with him. He he's been fantastic, and it's great to have somebody who cares so much about just providing something to the community and mm-hmm. providing something to our area, yeah. like he has. And it, it really does mean the world to to me personally. And I know so many guys in our roost, and so yeah. Um, I mean, it, you know, when he bought this place, he didn't. He, he was just looking for land. You know, he was looking for a place where he could ride four wheelers and things like that. I mean, he wasn't looking to buy a golf course. And uh, but I think you know when he found out how important this golf course was to this community. You know, he he committed right then and there to, hey, we're going to make it better. And it started there. It started small. We were just going to make it better. You know, we were putting in an irrigation system. We were going to add some bunkers. And that was basically it. And not long after, less than a month, he was like, you know what? We're going to build the best public golf course in Kentucky. And I was like, let's do it. So how, how did you guys kind of link up? And how did that opportunity start? And how, what was your first time out to the property like? Basically, I found out a friend sent me an article saying, hey, this guy bought this golf course. It sounds like he's going to make some improvements in the article. And uh, he's kind of a difficult person to get in touch with if you don't know him already. And so I got in touch with someone at his company, and they basically put me in touch with him over time. And we talked a couple times and came up here the first time. And like I said, we came up here the first time in January 2020, and we were already under construction two months later. That's how fast this whole whole thing moved and luckily I kind of that's kind of how I design anyway I don't need a bunch of plans and grading plans and things like that you know I like to kind of build on the fly and and what I see in the field and we knew we weren't going to move a 
a lot of dirt out here. The property was really good as it is. I mean, we, we did, I don't think we moved anything besides rock in a dump truck or a dump trailer. We, we've moved, we shaped everything on site where it was. If we couldn't find the material, then that was just, that's where we're going to stop. And so, you know, we weren't importing a bunch. We weren't cutting a bunch, didn't take a bunch out. And that's why there's still, you know, a little bit of quirkiness out here. There's a little bit of blindness and things like that. And it's just places where, you know, we weren't going to disturb what was already here because it was good enough. That's, I never got to play the golf course before, mm -hmm. um, but it, hearing guys who did um, and hearing the comparisons between the vast differences and also the similarities in just the land movement, yeah, mm -hmm. it's... Um, yeah, you could see that there was something here. You just kind of had to look through the weeds, and it literally, in this instance, and a lot of, a lot of tree overgrowth, they'd kind of just let it go, and there was... You know, if there was a low area somewhere, there were there were a thousand little saplings growing up in it. I mean, just impenetrable out in the middle there, just blocking a beautiful view of that sycamore tree, for example. You couldn't see it barely. You could see the top of it. So if you had to estimate how many trees... Oh, gosh. Um, big trees on the course itself, probably like... 200 if you count all the little saplings and things like that i mean it's thousands and yeah and of course we, we took one probably half acre section of forest out back basically the tee shot for number 12 didn't exist before the tee was up there but it played to another green down the hill so we cleared that whole little section of forest there i'm sure there were you know several hundred in there as well and what was that process like was that the process that started in January, or did you have to get out of here and kind of? No, in in January, essentially. I mean, we we did make one return trip in February to actually mark trees. Uh, we we had told them straight away, like, hey, if it's a cedar or a pine, they got to go. Our actual philosophy was, if it's green, it goes. It was winter, and so um, so we left all the deciduous trees and then we came back and kind of selectively decided which ones of those we wanted to keep and pretty much every hole out here was lined with trees not not as thick as you might see on some courses because they were fairly new planting so they weren't you know they hadn't grown together yet but there were probably you know 10 to 12 trees at least on every hole that we that we kind of took out just those little soldiers down the the sides of each of each hole and you know we wanted to make sure we left some trees we didn't want it to be you know, completely barren, mm -hmm. but, but we wanted them, we wanted to leave the right trees. And, and I think you guys did a great job of leaving trees that create sight lines, mm -hmm. trees that can create, um, aiming points, but also trees that can create a little bit of havoc, you know, yeah. uh, there, there's some right on the edge there's there a few. Yep, that, yeah. that can just, just close enough. So no, um, I, being around here and, you know, looking around and seeing how dense the woods are. And I've heard stories about, you know, the ATV races off in the woods back there. Mm -hmm. um, to see this kind of wide open valley as, yeah. as it is now, it's, it's really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, I love it. You know, you, you, when you're driving up 31 there, you, you can kind of see that there's something back there. And the topography here is so interesting anyway, just, you know, with all the little sinkholes and the, you know, it, this valley doesn't follow a natural drainage <laughs> you know everything leading into this valley you're looking uphill in every direction from down here and, and but you can kind of see there's a little something back there around the corner and and once you kind of crest that hill there and and start to get to see your first view of the course you know as you get up to number 18 is just 
it's really it's a special place yes sir i i couldn't agree more so you mentioned um the kind of evolution between mr chandler and you guys saying we're just going to do a little bit to we're going to make this the best public course in the state of kentucky Mm -hmm. so did you have a goal obviously that became a goal but just a goal in terms of design when you were going through the process yeah you know we we knew we weren't going to be able to change the routing that was out here very much there were a few spots where we were like oh you know we'd really like to fix that the old the old first hole not number 10 was it was a pretty bad hole it was a terrible way to have to start around when it was number one and i i knew right away i wanted to fix that and so we we rerouted 10 11 12 uh, made changes there we moved 15 green um i think 75 yards and moved 17 green 60 some yards you know so some some major changes um but we knew we weren't going to really be able to go off the footprint of what we had and we weren't going to be able you know we added probably 250 to 300 yards to the course but we weren't going to get much more than that and so we knew at a 6200 yard par 70 you know what what's the interest going to be here like what's going to bring people back you know is this this course too short for a big hitter you know how do we keep their interest and things like that and so we knew it's all about the greens you know it had to be and they're going to have to be interesting they're going to have to be challenging they're going to have to be the point where, you know, we've got a lot of sub 350 yard par fours out here. You know, how do you make those different from each other? And, and how do you make those challenging when you got a 30 yard pitch shot for, for a lot of people? And, and so we knew, you know, Hey, we're going to put all, almost all of our time and energy into those greens. We're going to add bunkers where we think we need them or where they look like they should be, but we're not going to go over the top with bunkers. So that was a, that was a choice that we made early on because again the land was good enough so we didn't think we needed a lot of artificiality mm-hmm. and you know we, we just put it you know put it all on the greens and weren't afraid to take some chances you know not many people would build a 14 foot deep bunker on number 15 but you know I, I was like hey there there aren't many of them so that's just one you just don't want to be in you yeah know? I think you learned that the hard way once there um yeah uh, we've had several guys learn that lesson yeah. the hard way but I've I've actually I really really like that hole it sets up perfect for me it's if you can get past the the perspective and the eye intimidation of mm. it it's an easy hole you it, know? Is. It's, it's, it is it is you just hit a drive out there you have you know I never aim over the bunker even mm. if the flag's over there I'm just yeah. always aiming for that right half yeah and you know get up there and I have the worst situations that I've had on that green was being up on the ridge and this is what you're talking about making the green so interesting up on the ridge having to put down mm-hmm. and I can't keep it close to the hole yeah um, and kind of going off that the greens are there it's my favorite set of green complexes that I've ever played uh-huh. um, Thank you. I, I it's so fascinating intriguing challenging yet fair and playable yeah. all across the golf course yeah. um, what I say that separates you know this place from other places is yes you can kind of hit it anywhere off the tee and you can get onto the green but mm-hmm. the angles that you're going to have from the wrong spot off the fairway is going to keep you from birdie yeah you know, there, it's almost impossible to get to the get close yeah, from if you're on the wrong side of eight for example it depends mm-hmm. on the left and your drive's on the right and you've got to play over that central bunker with that other bunker tucked right behind the green I mean that's a very small landing area and so a lot of what we did out here with the greens was kind of creating greens within a green and because because of that exact reason so if you miss left you can be anywhere on two for example right that that or or six right those fairways are 60 yards wide you know you've got a, a huge landing area but if if the pins tuck tight on two 
up against that bunker and you're left, I mean, you, you have an almost impossible shot. You're not going to get it close. You might get it on the green, but you're not going to be close. You know, the best place to be there is really short and right of the fairway bunker, but most people are going to hit driver anyway and try to pound it down there. Uh, and and you can you can short side yourself a lot out here. Yeah, there's been a few golf courses that I've found it helps as much to play the hole backwards first Absolutely. than out here. And yeah. yeah, every time I get up to a tee box, I'm looking where the flag is, and yeah. that's kind of deciding. Um, and it just it keeps things interesting. Um, I feel like every single time I have a club in my hand out here, I need to be focused. Yeah. I need to be paying attention because. Sure, I can go find my golf ball, but just because I find my golf ball doesn't mean I'm going to be in a position to succeed. Agreed. All right, so um, that's hearing you talk about the green within green is fantastic and, and really enjoyed that. Um, did you consider the balance between the kind of local community here in Kentucky, especially with you know seniors playing a lot of the golf versus the kind of golf sickos like us that are going to travel in and, and people from across the country that are going to kind of take note of this place? Yeah, from a design perspective, I, I would say no. I think, you know, I knew a lot of the people, the locals who had played this course regularly or played it before would probably be maybe intimidated or, or blown away by some of the features they saw because, it, you know, it's, there's not a lot of public access golf in this area that's like that, you know. Like a lot of times, a lot of the things these guys are playing – the greens might have a lot of slope in them. For example, they might be back to front slope or something like that, but there's not usually a lot of internal contour. Um, but we thought, you know what, let's just build the best golf possible. As far as the local versus non-local or, or traveling golfer, if you will, you know, we, we knew that we wanted this place to still be affordable. That was first thing. You know, we want people to still be able to play out here. But we wanted to be able to give them an experience that they might get at a private club, both from an operation standpoint, but also from the golf course itself, from conditioning, but also from, you know, some of the interest in the greens. Because, you know, all, a lot of the things that I've learned as an architect from studying other courses, and they're typically high-end private clubs that a lot of people can't get on. But you can bring that design into a public setting and, and you know, challenge people in a way that they aren't challenged other, at other places. And uh, like you said, I think you guys hit the nail on the head with that here. Um, the kind of things that some folks may see as intimidating, once they play the golf course a few times, realize that it's still a really fun, easy, playable golf course. Mm -hmm. Just because there's going to be some challenge. Yeah. Does, doesn't make it any different than the golf courses around here that have 40-yard wide fairways exactly. and little shoots off the tee. Or 3,000-square-foot green. Now we might have a 7,000-square-foot green. You have a much better chance of hitting the green. You're probably going to be putting where before you would have been off the green somewhere. It might have kicked off, and you know you had a pitch or a chip. So, you know, I think probably, probably a, a normal average – local golfer probably hits more greens out here than they did before because there's not trees lining the sides of every hole and the, and the greens are bigger but you know once you get on the green the hole's not over challenge is not done yet yeah first time i played out here i walked and i'm not a walker so that yeah that, that was it's tough. A, it's walkable but it's a, it's a tough walk but um you know i shot like right around 80 and then the second time i came out here i tried to get a little bit more aggressive and mm -hmm. i couldn't break 90 yeah. and so it's you know it's something that you know if you just kind of you know methodically go around the golf course it yeah it can open itself up in really cool ways but you know if if the high low handicapper tries to get aggressive it can really show it, some it teeth. absolutely can you you better be on if you're going to take uh you know if you're going to pound driver 14 times out here or, or 16 times you know then 
you better be hitting in the right spot. At the first extinction, we had our Sunday pairing, which was four plus handicaps that we we were like, all right, guys, here's the course record. Somebody go get it. <laughs> and um, they, you know, I think the best round among them was maybe 68, 69. Mm, yeah. Just you know, everybody really impressed with the golf course. Just mm. because there are, are some opportunities out there doesn't make them uh, gimmies. Absolutely. Yeah. And the course record now, I should mention, so yes. it's actually been set twice in the last two weeks. So it was a. A 63 from a local guy named Jordan Bland who played golf at Kentucky. He's a great golfer, and uh, I think he was maybe even All-American there. And He shot a 63, and then less than two weeks later, a high school kid from <laughs> Taylor County, Campbellsville, Kentucky, came out, fired a, an 8-under 62, no bogeys, just lit it up. That's so, yeah, incredible. 62. So it's gettable, though. I mean, you you know, you keep the ball in play, hit it in the right spots, and make some putts you can you can score out here how do you describe park mammoth as uh let me see if i can word this correctly how would you say that it introduces itself to the golfer you know we've always all heard the quote about you know firm handshake off the Mm -hmm. first i love the first hole i'm Mm -hmm. i'm hard pressed to not call it my first hole just because i love how it introduces the day how would you say the first few holes introduce park mammoth to the the golfer well you know i think honestly even before you get out on the golf course the one of the one of the coolest things out here is that cresting that hill for the first time mm-hmm. and seeing number eight green. Mm-hmm. I knew when we before we even talked about doing greens, I was like, man, if I could rebuild that green, it's got to be like something, you know. Like I want that to be for the first time someone comes out here and they come over that hill and see that green. Like I want them to be just blown away. And so I, that was one I put a lot of time and effort into and getting right. But check. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> Crushed it. exactly. Right. So I think that that's, that's important, you know, before you even get out here and play golf to know that, Hey, this is going to be something. And then, you know, getting out here on the first tee, obviously our clubhouse, our final clubhouse isn't done yet. It hasn't, it haven't even started in fact, but great view from up there. I mean, you'll be able to see, I think 15 holes from up there. Uh, visually it, it's awesome. Cause you know, kind of looking up the Valley, you're looking down the Valley and you, you know, you, but the first hole doesn't play in either of those directions, right? It plays across the valley. And so, and there's really only a few holes that do that. You know, one, seven, 15, and 18 are really the only holes that play across the valley. And, and one, yeah, one's great. I mean, you know, there's a huge sinkhole down there in the bottom. Of course, we had several of those out here, but that's one that kind of lets you know right away, like, hey, this, this is the type of place you're going to be playing today. And, and I think, you know, one is a good example. It's a good starting hole. It's not an easy hole, but it's also, I mean, there's no bunkers. It's, um, it's uh, you know, maybe a firm handshake. I'm not sure if I'd call it a firm handshake. I don't know. No, it, no. It's a, yeah. but, you know, it's a good introduction. And then I think you cross the road and you see number two and you're like, whoa. You know, I think mm-hmm. number two is a visually great hole from the tee. Play, it's also, I think, strategically a great hole, but visually it's it's really something. And, and you know, you can, like I said, you can see every hole out here for the most part. But another thing that I really like is kind of that anticipation for what's around the corner, 15 and 16. It's the only place out here that you can't really see what's going on. You can't see 15 green or 16 green or any of that. And so you, you're left wondering for the entire round, like, I wonder what's around the corner. I, I've always loved it. And that's always, that was my favorite spot on the golf course to work. It, it's where I'd go to think in the mornings and things like that. It's just, a, I love it back there. No, I, I do too. Getting up on top of the hill and you do, you feel a little 
pulled back a little by yourself mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great spot i can only imagine when you guys were in, in the process and going up there early in the morning mm-hmm. just by yourself how cool that was um so and then yeah like you said the drive-in you you guys nailed it um everything about and i can't wait to see the new clubhouse when you yeah. can see everything mm-hmm. out in front of you just the the visual kind of factor of shock and awe is here yeah and it's um I've heard, you know, kind of, you, you're pulling into a stadium, right? And it's all out in front of you. Yeah. And, and it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all right. Getting into some of the questions from our members and from social media. Sure. Um, a lot of different questions and appreciate everybody chiming in. Um, first off, who is on your Mount Rushmore of Architects? Mount Rushmore. Oh, that's a good question. There's so many. I mean, I, I look up so much to the golden age. I think everything that I base my design theory around my methodology the way i build golf courses is based on that you know like i don't like to move a lot of material i i will if i have to but i don't i don't like to i like the simplicity of of how golf courses were built in the early days i like how they didn't move a lot of material like how they they worked with what they had on site and so you got to have some golden age guys on there i i love seth rayner i've always loved his courses um I've, i'll seek them out i've seen most of his courses not all yet but so he's he's probably on there for me um donald bross i mean my last name's ross right it, i've always looked up to him as well and i i was fortunate to get to play a lot of his courses i mentioned earlier i lived and worked in pinehurst for a couple of years um so i think i think he would probably be on there just because of the number of courses that he built and, and how many golfers and golf architects and and people that he's influenced over over you know the 400 plus courses that he built so i think he'd be on there um i'd want a modern guy on there i i mean tom doak and bill core those two guys i i I wish i could could kind of combine the two of them because i don't necessarily want to give two spots up there but um i it's your own rushmore we can have a fifth yeah why not right and uh, i really respect the heck out of those guys. I mean, Tom has been great to me ever since I was in college. I drove up round trip 24 hours to from Blacksburg, Virginia to Traverse City, Michigan to spend basically six hours with him wow. one day. And I mean, he was he was great. And ever since then, anytime I go anywhere and they've got a project under construction, he'll let me come out and spend a day with them walking around and things like that. And I've, I've learned a lot from him. I try to model my design methodology i suppose around him uh, but then you, you can't leave bill and ben off either they're um you know the the modern equivalents of i don't know i don't even know who i i suppose you'd say maybe like colton allison or something or or mckenzie and his associates just kind of working all over the world and they they never have never laid an egg i mean they they do such great work so you know let's let's put those guys on there and then i'll add a fifth since i did two modern guys um Let's just go all the way back and say old Tom Morris. I think there you go. yeah, the the guy who kind of got it all started for for us as architects. So. No, that's that's who. I mean, hard to compete with that list, and uh, very cool insight with your history with Doak. And obviously, you can see um, we when we were walking around the first time, kind of just looking at the golf course, and it was all coming out in front of us. 
Um, you know, you can see a little bit of Ross around the greens. You can mm-hmm. see some of the core and Crenshaw on the fairways. Yeah. And then to hear you talk about the dope with kind of the routing, it's it's all very interesting. Another, another person, we, you know, I, I was inspired a lot. And I felt like this golf course had some Langford and Moreau in it, too. And, and not to just be throwing out names, but I really like those guys, too. And I, I hadn't seen Lasonia at the time. I finally did last year. But I'd seen enough pictures and other work of theirs that I was like, there's something, you know, and so like 15 green, it was kind of a, a Langford inspired green for sure. Um, you know, where we actually did a place where we actually did move a lot of material and create something pretty dramatic and extreme, if you will. And, um, not nine is a little bit inspired by that too. <laughs> Nine's yeah. a lot of fun. We've seen some fun shots come out of that <laughs> yeah. hole. Um, yeah, no, I, 15 has that kind of, subtle nature but then you get in that part where where there is the the teeth to be shown yeah. like we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. no it's, it's really really good yeah um but i could say that about every single aspect so um stop repeating myself um in what ways have you seen the trend demand between public and private shift as popularity grows as far as new construction goes it's, it's pretty impressive that I don't know what percentage, but I would say higher in public than private and certainly more higher in the destination golf market. Um, you know, we're, we're not really that we're not, not a golf resort here. You know, we don't have stay and play though. I'd like to, um, but there's certainly been a lot more great golf built in the last 20 years. That's publicly accessible than there ever was before. I mean, you know, I mentioned earlier a lot of the a lot of the great examples of design, the old stuff is all private mm-hmm. and you know, there's some stuff, you know, today, just places like Bandon and Sand Valley, but then, you know, places like here and Sweetens and things like that that, that anybody can go see and not spend a you know, a thousand dollars a night and and walk away and, and learn something about golf architecture and, and you know, the talent level in the architecture has never been higher. I mean, there's so many great guys doing good work out there and and I, I love that that a lot of it is public. You know, there's still plenty of the, the big restoration things going on on the private side, though. Though it's kind of slowed down because a lot of it's done now. But uh, you know, guys like like you know Gil Hans and and Doak and Corn Crenshaw are still you know consulting at a lot of these classic clubs. But you know, a lot of the new construction, I, I love that more of it's open to the everyday golfer. I. Couldn't agree more. Um, in what ways have you seen the philosophy evolve with the modern game, with technology, pace of play, all those kind of factors given? Um, you know, I think that, I guess the biggest thing is just kind of that, kind of having a, or needing that wow factor. Um, the game obviously is has evolved a lot. People hit the ball a lot further. Here it wasn't something we could really do anything about. Like I said, you know, we, we got out of it what we could, but, you know, we weren't, we weren't going to be able to get 7,000 yards here. Um, I suppose the, you know, the biggest thing for me is making sure people can keep the ball and play off the tee. You know, not everyone's a scratch golfer, and there are some people who swing very hard and hit the ball very far, but they'll hit it all over, you know. And so just kind of making sure that you can – find your ball and play it again is, is the most important thing. So, you know, given width off the tees, focusing in on the greens, those, those are 
kind of classic tenants, but I think you see a lot more of that today with especially the places we just talked about, Bandon and Sand Valley, you know, epic massive width. Some of those places Lamond and Nebraska can't wait to get <laughs> out and see that. That's a so that's a I mean it looks incredible, but same deal there, you know, just having you can hit it all over the property, but that doesn't mean you're going to be able to recover necessarily, but you'll at least find your ball and, and get to keep going and have fun. So Exactly, um, and that's fun. Exactly, yep, yep. But, you know, I don't model much of my practice or, or my thought. I don't give a lot of thought to the pro golfer. Um, I don't like getting caught up in that because there's such a small percentage of the golfing population and the likelihood of, of them even coming out to a place like this is low enough anyway and so I didn't you know my, my focus was just on the you know mid handicapper and and trying to make it challenging for the good player but but also you know a place where you can score if you if you are hitting it well what is your favorite design feature here at Park Mammoth I think I might know the answer just from hearing you talk a little bit previously yeah that's, I have a guess that's a tough but... um there's a lot I I okay. I like. I love eight green. I love eleven green. Eleven green is one I spent a lot of time on. Um, eleven. So there used to be another par three that I mentioned earlier that twelve didn't exist before. Not from that tee. You played downhill. There was a little kind of drop shot par three, like one hundred and sixty some yards, and and so we were totally eliminating that hole and building a new hole for number eleven. And and so I wanted. I really wanted that one to be good. I love short par threes. I think it. Conceptually, it, that's one of my favorite things. It's the biggest green on the course that isn't a double green. I, you know, 10, 10 and 13 is bigger, but 11 is the biggest single green. And, yeah, I, I thought there was some kind of a, a little bit of funniness in that and that, the you know, the longest par four on the course is four and it's the smallest green. And then the biggest green is the shortest hole out here. Uh, so that was that was something that we kind of messed around with. And we kind of joked about that some during construction. Um I really, I really love that little pot bunker on eleven, um, but I guess I'd go with kind of eight green, just eight okay. green complex. Yeah, I uh, can't disagree with either one of those. I thought you were going to go with the bunker short of sixteen green. That's a good one. Uh, yeah, I mean that 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 was another kind of um, one of those things where it's like, all right, what, where's the best place to land the ball on this two hundred and forty? whatever yard hole and it's it's right there and <laughs> you if you just fly that bunker that's the best way to play that holes so if you can just clear that bunker and hit it like 210 215 it's gonna run right onto the green right in the middle every time it's a, it, that was another one of those that we really like massaged and and there was a lot of rock in that area and so we actually did have to take some rock out and bring some material in just to get that just right because we wanted to be able to kind of have that little feeder where you know, I think once you play that hole a few times, you might start to figure it out because, you know, hitting driver there, you can still get in trouble left. You can lose it left into the trees or, you know, you get over under that sycamore. But if you can hit something like 210, 215, just clear that bunker. That's a, that's probably the best bunker out here. Maybe. Well, maybe. It's up there. There's a lot of really good ones. But that's a good one. Yeah. No, I love that one. That's such a good hole. We've had several matches out here through the High Cotton Classic and me personally, that has been a pivotal hole. Um, I've been in really good spots. I've been in the bunker. I've been stymied by the tree to the right. Mm -hmm. So that that's just such a good hole. And um, we talked a little bit about 
this golf course and how it fits for match play. And so coming down to yeah. the end and having that hole being right there before 17, 18, right after 15. Yeah. How would you kind of, this is a question that I wanted to ask and I couldn't figure out how to word it. How would you describe the, the golf course like ramps up? Cause I feel like, you know, if, if we're listening to the music, it gets a little bit louder the whole way through. It does. Like, yeah, it definitely does. I think, you know, it starts off, like I said, one's kind of a, you know, a nice little, little intro and then two you kind of get that that first kick just that visual and then you know trying to figure out how to play that hole that's a hole that takes a few plays and you know it's a tough green it depends on where the pin is where you want to be off the tee and and you're right it kind of it kind of ramps and then it slows down for a little bit you know there's not a fairway bunker after hole three there's not a fairway bunker again until hole 13 so you have a lot of opportunity to kind of get the ball in play and I wouldn't say it's. I wouldn't say it's slow through through all that. There's a lot of a lot of land movement, a lot of difficult holes. I think the stretch four through six is a difficult stretch of golf, and then, and then it gets you know you play the the only, only water hole you play out here number seven, and then eight through eleven is my favorite stretch of golf out here. I think eight's the longest hole of the four at three forty something, and uh, you know three really, in my opinion, really great and really different short par fours with a little tiny little par three and thrown in there. But then I think really at number 12 is where, where it starts to kind of ramp up a little bit. And then we take a little breather on number 14. And that's something that we did intentionally. You know, we, we knew 14 itself was basically the flattest single hole on the golf course. There's very little elevation change from tee to green, uh, but we didn't want to add bunkers there. We kind of wanted that one little moment to rest before before it really gets up and ramps up on number 15. And that's, you know, 15 where the land's just heaving and flowing mm-hmm. down the hill, then back up the hill. And then 16, obviously a really long, tough par three downhill. The kind of boomerang par five, 17, but then 18, obviously, you know, I think 18 visually is a great hole. That's something that I took a lot of kind of classic elements from. Donald Ross, especially at, at Holston Hills is a, a great example of what I was trying to go for there with the kind of the, the offset bunkers left, bunker right, and trying to make sure you get, where, where's the best place to be on that hole? It's only 330. You can hit it. You can hit nine iron off the tee and, you know, pound one up the hill. And as we talked about a little before we started, you know, you, you can be long there. It's going to come back unless you're too long. But, uh, but you know, a, a visually kind of great hole to finish on and once once again once the clubhouse is up there I think it's really going to change everything too and, and make it just that much more appealing because you can kind of you'll be able to kind of sit out there and, and watch balls come in on 18 and people you know hopefully throwing it off that backboard and watching it roll back down toward the hole and I think that's going to be kind of a cool place just to hang out and, and watch golfers come in and, um, but yeah the, the challenge I think through 15 through 18 is like I said for match play we talked off you know back before your first event was, you know, those four holes, if you can get to 15, I mean, it's anybody's game at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that, and that's proven true in our matches. And like you said, that stretch, four through seven, mm-hmm. a couple tough stretches with some really fun kind of birdie holes around them. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's – there's so much um, – the, the routing is just – it's – I'll say it, you know – Again, because I've said it so many times before, I just love it from the beginning to the end. Keeps my interest, keeps my intrigue on every shot. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, kind of the... And, and something that, despite the distance, 
being you know shorter, you hit almost every club in the bag almost yeah. every time you play. Yeah, and that's something that. I think speaks to being a great golf course and something that a lot of golf courses can kind of miss. Yeah. And remember before too, that what's the back nine now was, was the front nine. So that was, again, that was something that the, one of the first things we knew we wanted to do and that didn't really require anything from a design perspective, but we're like, how do you not finish right there on number 18? I mean, mm-hmm. that's gotta be the last hole. We don't want to finish across the street, you know, sure. like right here, this is it. We got to make this the back. And, and that's again, just having that little, section of 15 and 16 there that you can't see that little bit of intrigue i was like oh that's got to be the back you know and so you mentioned you know new clubhouse you're work you're here right now working on a practice facility Mm -hmm. um so kind of you know pre 100 percent right now yeah um so there's a few things that i know you guys are kind of dialing in touching up um one of the questions that we had and i think that this is kind of answered when you had the clubhouse and a couple more things come together but um, somebody mentioned that they loved the golf course but was curious why there was no course layout on the scorecard or a simple diagram on the tee box. And I'll just say, before you answer, I love the scorecard. The scorecard looks great. Yeah, thank you. Again, another one of those things where, like, I'm not, you know, I'm not really a scorecard designer. Sure. But I did design the scorecard here. And it was another one of those things. I, I collect scorecards. That's You know, I don't collect logo balls or tees necessarily. But... Score, uh, scorecards have always been my thing and so I've got a huge stack of scorecards from all these great golden age private clubs that I've been fortunate enough to visit and so I wanted to model it after that mm-hmm. and again just it's it's all about simplicity for me and what's what's the least amount of information we need to provide to the golf and I think if you look at a lot of those classic golf scorecards and, and courses that's what they give you right it's just it's just the golf here's what it is here's your three yardages for this hole you know, go figure it out. And the same deal with the with the markers on the course. We don't want a lot of vertical distraction out there. We we wanted to kind of minimize. Obviously, you've got flag sticks. You've got you got to have you know trash cans or a bathroom or a couple of shelters. But you know, we wanted to limit the vertical non golf out there. That's why we don't have poles in the fairways at 150 or uh, you know things like that. We wanted it all just to be the golf and. So two things about not having that, obviously, is it's, it makes it a little difficult probably on the first-time player. But So we actually have an app that's under development right now that Laura, our general manager, is working on and hoping to have that up and running pretty soon. And that's, so that's going to be something, you know, you got your phone with you and you can kind of just look at each hole as you're playing it. And then also I'm working on a, a yardage book as well. So in time, we're actually going to have a couple of different options for you know, for seeing the hole and being able to play it, but without having to have it out there in front of you while you're doing it. And both of those to go along with, you know, once you've seen the golf course, you kind of get it. And then once the clubhouse is built, you'll see 15 holes from the clubhouse yeah. before you ever go play. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, no, I think that those are great. And I think it's just a little bit of kind of breaking the status quo with what people are used to around here, which yeah. is kind of the, the general public um, tri-fold scorecard, right? Exactly. And, and again, simplicity on the scorecard, one color, I didn't, you know, you don't need a bunch of, no, a bunch of, we didn't want to do ads, no, any of that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, it's just clutter. It takes away from what you're supposed to be focused on, which is, you know, the hole in the yardage. And I don't know if you've been complimented on this or not, but since we are in this area, I'll just compliment you guys on, on, you know, you mentioned not having vertical stuff, but no granite. Uh, T markers. <laughs> no granite yeah. T markers. Right? <laughs> they're, they're so prevalent out here. It would be very easy just to be like, you know, we have to do it. 
We didn't know what we were going to do for tea markers. In fact, the first time we played out here last October, we just used pine cones because we didn't have anything <laughs> else. We went up in the woods and got a bunch of pine cones. But um, I think the tea markers they did, are, they're, they're so good. Yeah. They turned out so good. No, um, all the details. And like you said earlier with the staff providing a, a private club experience when you get mm-hmm. here, um, everything from the time that you pull in and you get the drive to how you're treated in the pro shop by the guys pulling up in the parking lot, it's all it's all top notch. Yeah, that was that was very important to Dave. It's very important to Laura. It's important to me too. But they've really nailed it so far. So, do you have a favorite hole? Um, Clay Doty is the one who asked this question. He's the one who thanked you for the hill behind eighteen that stopped his mated wedge. <laughs> there you go, Clay. I'm glad I could help you on that. No, I, I love uh, I love kind of the the punch bowl nature of eighteen. It's a it's a good way to finish, but it's also you don't you don't see where your ball is ended up until you get up there. It's just that one little last moment of anticipation. Um, so favorite hole, it's I don't know. It's got to be eight for me. I, I it could change depending uh, you know if I'm out here playing that day, but it's always been the one that I kind of go back to. So it's my favorite yeah. hole that I haven't played well yet. Yeah, <laughs> haven't, haven't quite got it yet. I mean, it's tough, but I, I also like eleven a lot. Like I said, I spent. I spent a ton of time building that green. I really wanted that green to be like epic, and I, I think it turned out pretty good too. So, well, there's two similarities in those holes that they both have a blind element. Do you think mm-hmm. that, that kind of leans into why you like those? Um, on on eight for sure. Eleven, I think the best part about the blindness is just that you can't tell how big the green is, mm-hmm. so you don't. But, First time but I then, thought it was a postage stamp. Yeah, but then sometimes in the pins over far left or even back left was the best pin location I think is you're like whoa is that green is there green over there or even right when it's up on that little that little bump on the front right it's like whoa that's doesn't I mean look like there's a green there so you know you know you you, you can miss wide there but the smart play is just you hit it in the center you yeah know? I mean you're gonna be fine you're gonna walk away with the par probably almost every time but but when you get them over on the sides you're like oh man that's is that too enticing? It's only one ten, you know. I got that. Sure. And it kind of makes you maybe overthink and try to pull off something that you shouldn't. So you mentioned that back left pin on eleven. I'm mm. thinking of the um, kind of um, the bottom left pin on three. Is there any hole locations oh, yeah, that back, when you are designing yeah, yeah. that you or you know that you've played that you're like when the when the hole's here, this is going to be really special. Yeah, I mean. Like you mentioned, back left on three, where you kind of got, you can play that a couple of different ways, you know. But you you really need to get to that back left. You're not gonna, if you're on the wrong side of that big ridge, it's back middle. You're you're in trouble. Um, you know, eight obviously like a, I keep talking about that one, but you know, spent a ton of time massaging that. I wanted to make sure you could putt from front right to back left, and you know, you're not gonna make that putt, but just having that that one little kind of mound the bump there in the back left center that you can kind of play a ball up off of, but then it'll kind of roll back down front left a little bit. You know, I didn't want people taking pitches out of the green there. And, and so we spent a lot of time massaging that one to make sure you could kind of put that in both different directions. Um, what else? Eight, if you, if you haven't been out here, you obviously need to get out here, but eight is just, um, we mentioned it that it's the one that you see when you drive in, mm-hmm. but it is 
uh, everything that you want in a golf green, in a yeah. golf green complex. I'd say front left on seven is tough too because there's that ridge kind of separating the hole in the middle oh, yeah. there, and then you got bunker right in front of you, and then out of bounds left. So it's a that's a it's kind of a that one will pucker you up a little bit too. Sure. Um, right past the little false front on ten, that's another good one. Um, so we mentioned what you're here working on right now. Are mm-hmm. there any other future plans for the site? This was asked from Nick Steen, local guy who yeah, joined. Yeah, Nick. So right now we're the contractor is supposed to show up tomorrow night, actually. So they'll be out here Thursday, and we got probably three or four weeks. Uh, we're going to finish up our practice facility. We've got a you know 325 yard driving range and uh, pitching chipping green over there. Um, there are some future plans. I think next year, probably 2023, is just going to be focused on the clubhouse. But I, I've told him this personally, but I, I'll say it. I, I love Dave's commitment to this place. He's not done yet. He knows that we can keep getting better. Uh, I'm not going to talk about some of the future things that we've talked about yet just because I don't want to jinx them and they're not sure. official. But there could be some uh, ex- exciting additions here in the future. I'll just leave it at that. And uh, I think we can all just sit on the edge of our seats in anticipation and excitement for whatever those might be. Yeah. Uh, so, current or upcoming projects that you personally are might be excited about? Yeah, I've got uh, I'm I've got a really busy rest of this year. It's mostly smaller things. Uh, doing a little private residential thing down in Texas, so it's going to take me a couple more weeks. I'm going back up to Wisconsin again. It kind of really like those little recurring projects that I have one in Florida, one in Wisconsin that we do a little bit of, a little bit every year, just trying to get a little bit better. Uh, those are both private clubs. And, uh, then I'm going to be, I think going up to Philadelphia area to help a buddy of mine do a renovation project up there, uh, in, uh, in October, November, um, got a golf trip planned up to Rhode Island and Massachusetts this fall, which is pretty excited about. Love going up to New England in the fall. Uh, and then I've got two things in Texas that are exciting, but I can't really talk about them yet. But they're those um, are the most exciting things, right? Yeah, they're they're uh, potentially one of one. Especially, I'm I'm really the ink's not dry yet, but we're gonna do something kind of cool there. So, um, but yeah, that's that's what we'll, we leave it there. But I'm open to working anywhere. So you know, if you need me, call me. Well, that's fantastic. I think that you've developed a small cult-like following here at the High Cotton Club, and we're excited for whatever projects you know you have coming up. And, yeah, uh, we'll I mean, be I, traveling to, to visit them however we can. Yeah, uh, it's awesome. I mean, I love this part of the world. Like I said, I grew up not too far from here. I, I was born in Tennessee and uh, in the Tri-Cities, Kingsport, and um, you know, happy to happy to be back here and get to work here. Well, we're happy to, uh, like I said before have a place as special as Park Mammoth. We're so grateful to, to you, to Mr. Mm-hmm. Chandler, to Laura, to the entire staff and crew that have made this place possible. It's uh, truly a blessing to our community, to our area, to yeah. our region, and Agreed. to our roost. So yeah. thank you so it. much for yeah, taking the you, time. Yeah, thank you, Connor, again. It's been great. If you haven't signed up yet, come play September 17th. Yeah, right? September yeah. 17th, the extinction. Yeah, extinction number two. Yep. Stableford scoring system. Yep. So, yeah, come check that out, guys. If you haven't been out here yet, you're really missing out. So, come yeah, see it's, it. it's going to be phenomenal with half the field qualifying for a derby and the half that doesn't qualify, they got to hop on the bag and be a caddy for somebody. So, <laughs> okay, even if you don't make go. it, you got more golf to be, you know, involved Perfect. with. So, it's going to be very exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, uh, hopefully, just, I can be here. I'm not I'm not sure yet, but I'm going to try. That would be awesome. It's, yeah. uh, it's the perfect place for 
any type of event really um, just to be able to come out here and like I said the staff and crew so accommodating the golf course is perfect for any level of golfer to have a good day mm, yeah and so we can be any more excited to be back out here perfect thank you so much Brian All appreciate right. it very much thanks Connor